it's recording so good morning good afternoon and good evening folks welcome to karate without belts i'm john and today i am joined by scott if you guys remember way 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 back in like our early episodes scott was plugged by marty um, now marty's off on a secret mission and will return someday but until that day comes scott how are you yeah very good looking forward to it how is the the weather weather down under uh, weather's awesome. It's beautiful. I'm looking out my window right now. Beautiful, not a cloud in the sky. Yeah, amazing. Perfect for Christmas. That sounds great. I, where I live in the right above Okinawa, it is, we just had a cold front come in. So yeah. normally where it's like nice tropical weather most of the time, maybe a little too hot for some people's liking, is now freezing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's beautiful. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Warm for training in the evenings. Pretty humid, but yeah, beautiful. Fantastic, fantastic. How has training gone, um, your side of the world, with everything that's going on right now? I know every, I, no no one wants to talk about this, but it's kind of a reality of our times. Sure. Well, we, we've you know compared to many, we've we've been quite lucky in some ways being an island nation obviously we're, we're, we're isolated a lot more we're a lot further away from everyone so i believe it's enabled our government to sort of manage the flow of people in and out of the country more effectively uh, without getting into the, polit the political side of things right uh, you know policies were put in place that i think have, have allowed us to manage right and i think that's it makes me jealous. It makes me want to uh, actually move down to where I think a couple of people want to move down to where you are. Hey, yeah. you, have, you have a functioning government. That's great. Yeah, look, things have gone gone real well. You know, we had a seven week lockdown in in March. I think it started March twenty fifth, and yeah, we had a seven seven week lockdown where we were completely locked down. Everything was locked down. The only thing you could do was leave your home to go and get groceries, and and that was pretty much it. There were essential services workers who could go and do their thing. Right. Um, but aside from that, everyone was at home, you know, d doing their own thing. We then transitioned to a level three phase, which meant that we could have no more than 10 people on site in any type of business. So in the academy, that meant an instructor and nine students at a time. Um, and there were a whole lot of restrictions on how we could operate, contact tracing, those sorts of things. Um, and we were at that level, I believe, for another couple of weeks. And then we transitioned to level two, where we could have, um, I believe it was 50 people on site. And then we transitioned to level one, which was good. And then, you know, going back about six weeks ago, Auckland went into lockdown again. Um, right. But the rest of the country remained at, at, at level one or two. So for all intents and purposes, it's been, we've been lucky. You know, life is pretty much normal for us. We... Yeah, we, we go to concerts, we go to sports events, um, everyone's training. You're making everyone who's you know, listening jealous is. right now. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty normal for us. We wouldn't want to be anywhere else at the moment. Yeah, I I, I wanna go I wanna be there where I can uh, go to a sporting event and go to a concert and go train with people, um, with no with no fear of anything. Uh, Japan has been uh, touch and go with some things and I'm not going to get too much into yeah. what the policies are, mainly because there really haven't been any. So that's that's that. But so you guys have, other than that seven seven weeks and kind of what's going on in, uh, in Auckland right now, you guys are more or less rocking and rolling in terms of training? Yeah, yeah. We, so outside that seven weeks, we've just been training as per usual. I mean, if I look at it from a, a commercial perspective, which is the way I, I look at our operation a lot because that, that's sort of my role in it. You know, we had seven weeks lockdown where we were running 20 classes a week via Zoom. Okay. We And some of those were, you know, might have one or two students in them. Some of those had 20 students in them. And then we have pretty much run our classes as per usual uh, since lockdown yeah it's 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 business as usual predominantly we probably had another 13 weeks of downturn so people were unsure whether they wanted to train so for right. probably another 13 weeks after lockdown our classes were at 50 percent sort of capacity but now we've actually got more students than we've ever had before we've, we've got two facilities and we've, we've got 700 people training with us 
That's nuts. I mean, you'd, and what's interesting about that is that, hold on, I'm gonna try to unsqueakify my chair. Uh, I've got to get a new one. So got to put that on the Christmas list. But the, the idea there with a facility, m- not much less two locations, outside of what some people where I'm from in the States would call like a general like fitness facility. I don't know if Planet Fitness or LA Fitness or whatever, whatever plague from the States is could possibly come down to New Zealand. You know, outside of just kind of a general gym, from a martial arts perspective, I have very rarely seen anything like what you have going on, not only get off the ground, but thrive. So I... I think that's maybe one thing we can get into. And if you want to maybe backtrack with your, your background a little, we can do that. But you know, what, what inspired you to start, I guess the best way I can call it, it's not mixed martial arts, but like a multi martial arts facility. Sure. So even though I had uh, started off with Muay Thai back in the nineties, I had lived overseas for 14 years and returned to New Zealand, had a business and I, I was on a what we call lifestyle blocks in New Zealand. When you have a small block of land and you live off it, you know you have livestock and chickens and 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 yeah, you you, you you've got a I suppose in the states a little wee ranch sort of thing. Which and is, is, uh, one less day, common in a lot of ways <laughs> in the states, it's if you, if you uh, have that, you're doing that to just subsistence live, and probably yeah. maybe drive Uber. I have a couple friends actually who are doing something similar to that so maybe that is coming to the states but yeah yeah so one day I was driving down my driveway to take my son to a taekwondo class which I I, I also was doing taekwondo at that, at that time and I realized that the last time I had set foot off my property was the week before when I took him to a taekwondo class and it was like 45 minute trip into town to, to, to do the class and I sort of thought I'm at home, I'm running this business. Uh, I had this agricultural marketing company. I'm running this business. I'm working six days a week, 12 hours a day. Somehow I've gone overseas for years and come home and I'm just living in the rat race and I'm doing nothing. And you know, I've got this business that's working, but the quality of life was poor. I've got no engagement with people and I decided I needed to do something new. So you were uh, pre-lockdown before lockdown. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I thought, you know, what do I what do I want to do here? You know, I've got to do something I have a passion in or an interest in, or I'm going back overseas. Because the thing I loved about being overseas was every day was different. Okay. And I found I was in a rut. Every day was the same. So uh, of the things I've done in my life, it was martial arts that I decided, well, let's go down this route. I spoke with my um, instructor, uh, Master Christine Young, and said, look, I know you want to have a, a permanent facility. I've been thinking about this. Would you like to open up something permanent with me? And she said, yep. And I dropped a 30-page business plan in front of her on the spot. We sat there for nine hours, uh, discussed all the pros and cons and ins and outs and everything. And uh, I believe it was five months later, we opened our first facility. So that was sort of the genesis. Okay. Was it just um, intended to only be Taekwondo or be Muay Thai no. and Taekwondo or what What inspired what you have now? I guess you got to go back to where it began. Yeah. You, this was just out of getting somebody who had the skill or the knowledge who may not necessarily have had the business sense or necessarily the, the ability to run an administration because that's always an issue with martial artists. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's probably that, the biggest issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think all, all that, no, well, fortunately for me, I was quite deliberate about it. You know, I've owned a few businesses before um, and I just wanted to do something that I was passionate. I wanted to do something that uh, gave me the opportunity to engage and have relationships with people and be communicating with people, not sitting in front of a computer 12 hours a day on my own. Um, so I wanted to do that. And I've always, every role I've ever had in my life, I've ended up in a training role. Uh, I've always had a bit of a passion for teaching people things and helping people to develop, develop, help them chase their goals, help them achieve their goals. And this was just another avenue to, to, to go down that and, and use martial arts as a, as a vehicle for personal development. I was a massive fan of the UFC. You know, I'd been watching, at this point in time, I've never missed a UFC event since the first one. 
I've, I've still got all the original UFC events on VHS. And uh, yeah, I was a massive fan. So I, I proposed that it needed to be a multiple discipline entity because from a commercial perspective, it just made more sense. One venue, uh, multiple instructors, multiple arts, a number of people coming into one place. We can share the space and not each individually have the cost of a venue. And it just made a lot of sense to me. So I went round our town, Tauranga, and I spoke to lots of instructors. Many dismissed me. Many thought it would never work. Many thought, how are you going to deal with all the egos of all the different instructors? Many just wanted to keep what they did very sheltered and whether it be protected or not shared with other people. And I found uh, a few people who wanted to, to uh, share a venue. So I'll be honest, part of my leverage was I bought a cage, I bought a boxing ring, I bought a lot of bags, I kitted the place out with, uh, it was, a, it was a, a, an impressive facility. So compared to people training in school halls or community halls, we were kitted out. At, at a world-class level. You know, we had toilets and showers and a store and all that sort of thing. So okay. for an instructor who typically has been teaching out of love and passion for their art, but are often carrying the, well, in New Zealand, carrying the cost of the operation as a burden and not as a business, it was a relatively attractive scenario to get involved in. Now, how often did you, have you seen in where around you are, but also kind of around in New Zealand in general and places you've been also in the world, then where you get one person who is trying to start a martial arts school and following the kind of mid 80s idea of that where it has to be like in a strip mall or in a, you know, close to some sort of uh, community juncture and then it just being somewhere that only has like 4 a.m. or sorry, 4 p.m. to 7 or 8 p.m. type structure with like your only business operation hours are four hours from mid-afternoon to the evening and then just kind of peer out. Is that something you you saw that in, might, in may New have? Zealand, yeah, in New Zealand, typically martial arts have been taught in school halls after school and it's because the school facilities are, are cheap and but unfortunately they often don't have a lot of equipment to train with right and yeah I, I, I that's very typical of New Zealand it was it was very much something where martial arts were taught in, in, in school halls there were a few permanent facilities around the country but they, they were quite few and far between and there was probably about four multidiscipline facilities around New Zealand, but not quite on the scale that, that things happen now. Right. Now in New Zealand, multiple discipline facilities are quite common. Every decent sized town has one. And I think the general uh, consensus is that it just makes more sense for multiple disciplines to share a space and share the cost. I think they operate on a slightly different basis to how we do. They still work very much as an individual club sharing a space, whereas all of our arts, we are under one roof, one entity, and if you join up to train one art with us, you can train all. You can have 24-hour access, you can have gym access, you have everything. I mean, that's and that's what I think is interesting here is that you, you take the gym model, which is a lot of people, you know, I don't know what, what gyms are like where you're at, but some gym models where I've seen where it's just, it's open all the time from, yeah. from 24 seven, yeah. but they generally, it's just a couple folks, you know, making sure that, you know, nobody's ripping, ripping the place off or, you know, they're not throwing dumbbells around or, yeah. it, you know, there's maybe a couple trainers here and there, but, but to, to pair that with martial arts probably is natural. And, but it's also something people haven't really seen because of, the fear of the cost of just, you know, you're keep having people throw hands at possibly 3am in the morning, you know, how, how, what are the skills involved in maintaining something like that? And as you were saying, as I think a lot of people kind of suss out, out really quickly is that you have all these egos walking into a place that there's not for lack of ego with martial arts. 
and especially between what you have as traditional arts, Tai Chi, uh, Kempo that Marty and I have been doing for a long time and it's mixed with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Muay Thai, boxing, uh, these things that generally go, go, don't like each other in the same space. Yeah. Um, so, um, how, it's not saying you have anybody who hates each other in that space, but how would you, how do you manage to get everybody on board without having any sort of, Hey, you're that goju guy. Hey, you're that boxing guy. And then there's a fight in the street. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I think partially it's, it's just, it's, it's the culture that you develop. So we started with four arts, which were Taekwondo, Muay Thai, Brazilian. Well, actually, it wasn't Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It was Nogi Jiu-Jitsu, um, which was attached to an MMA club. And I think the fourth one we started with was, was actually Capoeira. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Look, there are egos. I think part of it is that, you know, one of my little catchphrases is that we train athletes, not thugs. In New Zealand, the kickboxing community historically has had quite an association with gangs. Oh, wow. Historically, uh, there, there, there were a, a certain type of person. It wasn't so much a, a family-oriented sort of scenario. So it was it was just it took time it was just a case of developing culture i think right at the start people were very appreciative and respectful of each other i think we probably approached the right people we discussed what we were looking to do uh, and we managed to make it work but don't get me wrong we, we, we do get the egos going on i mean we, we have had not fights breaking out or anything like that um i mean the bottom line is we have a code of conduct if you fight outside of your employment sport or self-defense you're gone you can't train with us oh, wow. um so that's a that's a code of conduct and and maybe once a year someone will get removed in that context i drop in and out of all of the classes like i, I do some of everything um you you do you know have people who think oh yeah well that's rubbish you know oh, you know or oh, goju um, is being influenced by sport karate and it's not it's not authentic anymore or you may have people saying oh taekwondo uh, is rubbish it's it's a belt factory you have Jiu Brazilian jiu-jitsu potentially saying that um, the others don't really work hard enough they don't roll or they don't train for real all the time so that sort of stuff does happen but overall there's mutual respect between everyone i think we've got the right people in place the right instructors i think it could have gone completely pear-shaped i work a lot on trying to maintain certain tone and culture so that we don't have that happen we have had people come in and begin classes not be a good fit and are no longer here i, I think the big thing is that when I have spoken with instructors, I really, really, really stress that for me, it's a center of excellence. It's about the students and not about the instructor. It's not about the glory. It's not about the ego. And we've got fighters and people who compete all the time. But right. if I get the right instructors involved who are there because they want to uh, work with students, it doesn't seem to be much of an issue. And that's, and that's, I think what's difficult is that you'll get a lot of people who say they want to be instructors, but when it actually comes down to it, um, and I, this is probably why a lot of martial arts schools fail is because the, you know, people have the ranking or whatever, but they don't necessarily have the acumen to, you know, run a class. Yep. yep. And, and that's what I always find interesting, interesting, because I'm an educator by trade and right. to run a class does not take any requires almost none of the skills that are that requires to actually know the discipline yeah it, it takes a lot it takes because you have to get people involved in you know if you're running a tai chi class and you have you know the guy who came off the street who maybe you know you know really wants to learn self-defense or not learn self-defense but you know really you know mess someone up you know you have to kind of teach them that culture of as you were yeah. saying, excellence, or even doing Muay Thai, if you're talking, I've never stepped into a Muay Thai class, but I know there, there I've seen plenty of kind of knuckleheads about that, but I've seen yep. some Muay Thai guys who are just real level-headed, calm, yeah. willing to talk to you about anything. 
So I'll be honest. I, I there's quite a lot of profiling goes on of the people who walk in the door. Hmm. So over the years, to some degree, I've identified where people will fit. I think best and what will meet their expectations the most. So if I've got a 20-something guy walking in who's like, oh, yeah, bro, you know, I want to I I fight, I want this, I want that, he's going to get steered towards Muay Thai and BJJ. If I get a mum uh, coming in who has a child lacking uh, in confidence, they're going to get steered towards Taekwondo or one of the karates where there's very much for young people a nurturing environment. So three of our, our instructors for Taekwondo and, and uh, well, three of our instructors for, for young people are early childhood teachers. Right. So I, I think there's, yep, there's a lot of profiling goes on. I find when they're with similar people, they stick at it more, they enjoy it more, they get a better experience from it, they get more engaged in it, and they will continue on their journey and stick it out, uh, you know, beyond their black belt or beyond their first fight in the ring. So I think identifying where people fit in and making them uh, comfortable by being with a, a similar peer group makes a big difference um, about their, them sticking with the arts. Yeah, I, I, that, that's something that I personally find I do a lot. Okay, so kind of martial arts matchmaker, as it were. To, to, to some degree, I mean, I take Muay Thai classes. Um, my classes are extremely militant. It's like being in the army, and whether it be children, youth, or adults, the adults are a bit different. You know, you're, you're, you're paying, you, you self-motivate, or eventually you won't be here. You know, I'm not going to tell an adult, unless they're a fighter, I'm not going to tell an adult that they need to put more effort in. Are there that they should be self-motivating. But with youth, children and youth, they're usually there because mum and dad think it's a good idea. So my Muay Thai classes are extremely hard work, a high amount of uh, physicality, a high amount of fitness. It's very structured. It's very organized. It's, it's uh, pretty demanding. And it doesn't suit 50% of the people who walk in the door because I expect an awful lot and, and it is very physical. So in those cases, instead of encouraging that, that, that parent or that student to come into my class, I'll be encouraging them to go and do karate or taekwondo, not to say they're not physical, but they have a more of a nurturing environment as opposed to a do this, do it now, do it my way. And that's right. how I teach. Having said that, I have by far the largest classes in our facility. I have the longest retention, and I have people who started with us as children who now are regular fighters and fight every three months. And so, there's something to be said about that because, as we've I've talked about this on this program a little bit, is that you know where where you get you know the, not to say that that nurturing is a bad bad thing because it's not. Um, if no. it wasn't a bad thing, you wouldn't have that in your your facility. Yeah. But to actually have something where there's a clear goal in mind. And that yeah. goal is very palpable, where you can actually physically see somebody is able to do something. I think, I think is what inspires a lot of people. And to have somebody who is focused and ready and can clearly produce and produce a lot of a lot of what they're talking about, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. And I think, you know, from my experience starting martial arts when I was in my teen in my teenage years, when it wasn't nurturing, when it or wasn't kind of built towards kids but when it was more on the kind of harder side of things got me better not just in terms of martial arts but in terms of kind of like how i stood as a person yep so i i would agree with that as to not say that you know and our friend marty uh teaches one of your karate classes and i know he's he has a very similar approach even though the the maybe physicality is a little different so but, but I think, yeah, having having that militaristic approach, as it were, goes back to the root of the martial in the art, as it were. Absolutely. I think it also helps meet parents' expectations. I mean, I think we're probably a little bit different from a lot of martial arts entities. 
60% of our membership is adult. So That's unheard of. That it's not, we, we, it's not all the kids. The kids are a big part of it, but 60% of our membership are adults. Um, when people do bring children in, you know, like I say, they, they can either go down the nurturing path to build confidence and self-esteem, uh, or they can go down the sort of militant path to become tough, physical. Um, but regardless, there will be an awful lot of mentorship in those classes. I speak to my students a lot about who they're going to be. And this is from when they're seven years old. I don't take them younger than that. Uh, some of the other arts do. But this is from when they're seven years old. There's a lot of mentoring going on. I'm planting seeds in their mind of how they will deal with adversity in life, how they will, you know, when things go their way, great, how they develop, how they grow, when they don't go their way, how they develop, how they grow, what they'll do when it gets hard. There's, a, there's an awful lot of, I, I know it's very cliche, but I think I do it a lot in general conversation. And I also pull the parents up a lot. You know, parents say to me, well, what do you do when um, your child doesn't want to come to training? My answer is very simple. They're seven years old. What do they know what's good for them? Bring them along. Don't teach them to quit. And a lot of parents in New Zealand, we're very woke. <laughs> um, and we're very, you know, we're a society where children can dictate an awful lot of the family dynamic. And I don't agree with it. I think it's the parents' role to guide and mentor uh, and say, look, you do this. You start, you keep going to your black belt. So I don't, um, or, or beyond, or you keep going until you have a standard of, of ability to defend yourself genuinely. My worst nightmare would be for a kid to come and train for a few years and they couldn't defend themselves. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree with my, with pretty much that st those statements. I, as someone who started martial arts, who didn't have any strong parental figures around, having that mentorship and guidance is actually something that kept me coming back to martial arts. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's, that, that is uh, pretty much all throughout any, any art can be doing that. I think Muay Thai, karate, Taekwondo, mm. right. That there's, you can't, you can't have a place and a facility like that. That's that successful with your percentages that you're saying, because adults want to quit. I feel yeah. like that. That's why I'm so shocked by hearing that because adults want to quit. Yeah. And I, I, that from my perspective, that's always been, yeah, I, you know, uh, I finally got the black belt. So, uh, you know, I'm done. And that, you know, that's about the attitude I've seen, but hearing that, I think that's also speaks to the culture that kind of, that I think evolved into the one sensei, one dojo cultures where you have people who will get up to a certain rank and they've opened a school and had a school for a long enough time they have teachers under them so they can kind of rest on their laurels and let their students teach for them and you know as long as you've got a new belt coming in every month you know it makes the business work i guess but you don't develop a very good culture of retention and you don't develop a good culture of having the students you want, especially if you like teaching adults and like having training partners, you need adults. Yeah. So. Uh, and look, you, you mentioned, you know, a new belt coming in. You know, we've, we've had an interesting dynamic come up this term, which I've, I've not really had to this degree before. So in our children's and youth um, Muay Thai program, they don't have belts, but they have singlets. And they grade through singlets. And when we started, we didn't have that. What's a and singlet? I decided, so a, like a, a, a tee, a, a vest. Oh, okay. I think you guys call them vests. Yeah. Um, so when we started, we didn't have that. You know, I'd, I'd been in Thailand and, and I hadn't come through anything where there was a, a grading uh, structure in a Muay Thai club myself personally. Right. Um, but because we had children, we I, I decided we needed to have benchmarks. We needed to have things for them to work towards, obtain, and then move on and learn a new set of skills. So we really struggled with the idea of doing it for a long time, but then we implemented it. And it has been fantastic because it does it, it does give the children and youth targets and things to work for, towards. So it has increased the retention of students. Our Muay Thai club is massive. But something that's happened this term, which was interesting, is I've had multiple parents 
say to me, oh, my child's been training for quite some time, you know, and they haven't, they haven't graded. And if you don't grade them, we, we, you know, I don't feel like they're making progress and they're, um, we're going to go train elsewhere. And my response was, if you're, and it was case by case basis, but if your child is not developing and in a couple of cases I identified, they need to put more work and effort into every class. Don't just turn up. I don't do participation awards. It doesn't work that way. You have to improve and you have to be of the standard of your peers as you go up. Otherwise, you're going to end up getting hurt. So we had some parents who who pretty much demanded ratings. And what? my response in the end was, Lee, I will not lower the standards because you feel that your child's not progressing quickly enough or... You know, and I'm the worst person to ask. One art I do, I've not graded in seven years. The other one I haven't graded in five years. My children are both black belts in Taekwondo. I mean, they do other things as well. Right. Um, it took 10 years to get that, even though the norm is five. I, I'm the worst person to ask. I think that when you get to that next standard, you need to be exceptional already. Not, um, I will get there and we'll, we'll, we'll earn our belt while we're there. So, yeah, it was an a, unusual dynamic that we had multiple people sort of make demands about grading and, and and I think this is all part of the culture of excellence as well if you acquiesce to those sorts of things and you go oh, okay well I want to keep that member or I want to keep that student you lower the standard and eventually it's going to harm the entire club I think by setting precedence and saying no we're not going to do that um, then everyone knows I've got to turn up and I've got to work and I've got to put effort in and I'm personally responsible for my own improvement in every class. Some of that development has to be on the individual, not just on the instructor. I think that's where, that's an interesting dynamic because I think, at least in my experience, every time I've seen someone acquiesce or in terms of, you know, just say, ah, whatever, there is a long-term, they they are causing long-term damage to their program, to to that student, to whatever they're whatever they're doing it's tai chi muay thai karate kung fu aikido whatever it is every time they've said this is the standard this is the standard we follow and we're not deviating from that you always end up having a better program and better retention yeah however you get people who kind of are asymmetrical in that where they are far too hard or they're far too rigid in how they view things. And so you end up having kind of a lot of students dropping off for you know whatever reason. I've experienced one dojo in Okinawa where this guy was really, really good, but he said he was far too hard on his students and that's why he has no students in his dojo. And he seemed very, yeah. rather proud of that. Yeah. Which was kind of like a little counterproductive because he had a really nice dojo with yeah. one student kind of and kind of more of a cult follower. Yeah. So I guess the question would be then is, you know, what's the balance of integrity there? Um, you know, from a, both a martial arts perspective and a business perspective is if you have a lot of people coming in the door, a lot of different arts and everyone has maybe a different standard and what they want to go with. How do you maintain that integrity while at the same time keeping the doors open? For me, I think you just must maintain that integrity. Right. I believe that when you because i spoke to the students and the parents about this as a group last week they were expecting to turn up for a normal class before we started the class i actually raised the issue and uh i just made it very clear that that i will not lower the standards to accommodate people who think that their child is entitled to a grade just for turning up and i think i mean there were cheers People calling out, you know, parents calling out going, yeah, damn right. (laughs) You know, there were people. So I think the benefit, I personally believe that more people want to stay and appreciate and see value in their grade as a result of that stance than giving them away. I think when you devalue your grades, you devalue your art, you devalue martial arts as a whole. And I think you eventually end up with no students because we put, a not a financial value but a value on effort and development uh, I, I think that will be 
um, will, will, will benefit the club and has benefited the clubs over the years. I think it's an absolute must. And that's your product. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I, I hate mixing martial arts with business, but I mean, if you are going to essentially go and go and, you know, have to operate, you know, we live in a, you know, new liberal capitalist society, you know, what, what you know, I, I want a peanut. Well, I found $20, you know, money can be exchanged for goods and services. You know, this is something we yeah. need. The, the product of what you're doing is not t-shirts. It's not the, the next key. It's not the next um, singlet. It's not the next, whatever it is, the, the martial art itself. Yeah. And absolutely. I think that's where I think a lot of people lose it is that they, they lack on their integrity, either in their own training or not. And then, you know, that, and that's really refreshing to hear. You get cheers for saying we're having standards, hooray standards, rather yeah, than absolutely. we're having no standards, hooray, no standards, which is majority of the time I feel a lot of people have experienced. You mentioned something that actually has been an ongoing, um, not so much now, um, but definitely for a, probably, let's say, the first three or four years. I mean, we've been operating for seven and a half years, almost seven, seven years. Um, you, you, you mentioned, well, something that came, has come up a lot over the years is people saying comments to me, like, like calling us a McDojo, okay, which I could care less about, right? Because if the definition of McDojo is someone who teaches a lot of students, uh, develops a lot of students to a high standard, uh, have students who go off, compete, win regional, national, world championships, um, then call us a McDojo. I don't care. I've had people say things to us like, oh, you're not in it for the art, you're in it for the commercial return. Well, aside from the fact that for the first two and a half years, I didn't pay myself a penny <laughs> and carried the like whole thing. Like any business. Yeah, carried the whole thing, uh, you know. But I also had a successful business prior to that and, and, and opted not to do that for something that I, I, I uh, you know, wanted to develop a new passion in, in a new area. But I, I had a lot of people in the martial arts community around us sort of go, you're a McDojo, you're in it for the money, you're not passionate, we teach for this reason or that reason, we, we teach for the passion. And I would say, well, I think I've demonstrated more passion than most because I gave up a successful business, I rolled the dice. I'm still here seven and a half years later. I've made it work and I work 13 hours a day. You want to know what it makes to, um, to, to make a, a, an academy function and, and be successful? It takes an awful lot of effort. For every one hour of instruction, there are three to four hours of administration. So, you know, uh, it, it's been an interesting journey. And for, for, for a couple of years, people labeling us a McDojo, which was probably out of envy, was a bit annoying. But now it, it doesn't bother me in the least because we've produced so many high level students. To me, that is the litmus test. You know, if your students are capable, if your students are excellent, and if you're producing students who not only are good at martial arts, but are um, achieving scholarships and things academically and outside of, of the academy, um, which which I feel we contribute to through work ethic. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not concerned with what people label us. Well, I think that's that's something me and Mar when we kind of had our initial run with Karate Without Belts, that's something, and I feel that's almost, because I, I, I don't hear that this is maybe something I heard before, but I don't really hear that enough from people where they say, what are the people we're producing? Not the martial arts, not the, not the quality of the kata, not the quality of the, of the fight or whatever, um, but what are the kind of people we're producing? Yeah. And there's enough out of people out there who will say, you know, we're, we're producing badass, we're producing whatever, Cobra Kai notwithstanding. The, the, the whole idea with producing good people or creating, you know, having education to be a transformative experience. Yeah. If they don't understand that, they don't understand this is going to be a holistic thing. You know, that's on them. 
And this is including all the the, the hard nosed tr traditionalists. This is including all of those guys because if they are hard nosed to you know if your whole life is martial arts, then you don't really have a life. If that makes sense, yep. like the, yep, sure. So you know, I I find it fascinating. Um, and it, you got Marty involved, which is I remember he was talking to me about probably what three years back he started with you guys, and he was talking to yep. me about. Yep. I don't know if I'm going to do this thing. And I'm like, dude, it works well. Do it. If you got yep. a bunch of people there and you don't have to worry about, and there's a bunch of stuff that's taken off your plate and you yep. guys can just do as you will. And it, it's good for more exposure. You know, I, I, if I was in a place where I could do that, I would. Look, Marty was one of the people, he openly said to me, he was very apprehensive. He was concerned about standards and he may have even used the term, I don't want to be involved with McDojo with, with, with me when we were talking. And I said, come in and watch me take a class. And he came in and I was taking a squad because uh, I teach some Taekwondo as well. Um, so he came in and watched me take a squad training class. So these are the students who go off and compete. And he came in and he saw the physical way, and it's not a typical Taekwondo class, he saw the physical standard and level that I drove these young people. Uh, and it made, I think to some degree, it gave us credibility in his eyes that we weren't in there, you know, patting people on the back and for technique. They were working, 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 working. And I think that, that was one of the things that made him think, okay, maybe this this is somewhere I can go because these people are in here learning to become capable martial artists. They're not um, just selling belts and uniforms and patting people on the back and trotting them out the door with no skill. So I think that was part of it, but it was very much, I spoke to Marty for two years before he came in. Okay. I've just had another, a master from Taekwondo who came in with us last year, who I'd been trying to get to come in and, and movers clubbing for four years you know it's it's perseverance uh and ultimately i just need to get them in to come and look at how we operate uh and they they the, you know they become our the people who praise what we do the most yeah i mean i, I think that's what's interesting is the, the interesting circle there is i remember marty being a little skeptical marty is always a healthy skeptic um that's yep. why him and me are, are such good friends <laughs> Which is just like Marty skeptical about something. Yeah, the sky's blue, but um, yep. the you know, grass is green. But the the fact that he went from there to the, to recommending you to you to me, uh, someone who's probably more more skeptical and a bit more cynical, I think speaks volumes to what you guys are doing. And I've seen a lot of what you guys put out on social media, and it all looks high quality. It doesn't look McDojo-y to me. Yeah, I've yeah. seen and I've seen I've seen these McDojos. I've seen I've been a part of schools that have fallen into lack of standards, where literally yeah. there a curriculum the curriculum just fell out. the The guy the guy just was like, ah, just do whatever. Like to hear somebody go on a complete opposite of that, I I want to push that up as much as possible because there's not enough there's we need 50 scots in the world we don't we don't need a hundred of these other guys who are either hard-nosed traditionalists who can't get their stuff out there or don't don't care about standards or won't put in the work so i i think the key is just the student right so if your number one priority is to have an impact on your student's life not their martial arts, their life, um, then it's easy to maintain integrity with your standards. It's easy to deliver a quality class. It's easy to remain inspired by your students. I think the key is if you prioritize your students over your brand, over yourself, over glory, and you just think, you know, we, we've got some students who will never be black belts. They don't have the physical ability to, to get there or they're older and they, they um, won't, I, I don't foresee them being able to achieve it. But 
if we invest the same amount of time and energy and passion into that person and thus seeing some personal improvement in their life, it doesn't matter whether they're an amazing athlete or martial artist. If they are getting some value and growth out of every session, if they leave every class a little bit better than they walked in, then we met their expectations and we're, we're delivering and supporting them. And I think if that is the premise, if the student is the priority and not the art, not the club, not the brand, but the student, then all of the rest of it falls into place. Because all those things are in service of the people, not the other way Absolutely. around. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the martial Absolutely. art isn't a physical thing. It's only something we do. And that's, I think, what is so difficult to talk about. Yeah. Because we can't like go out there and say, "Look, there's the martial art. It's in the field. You know, we're we're growing martial arts. Look, it's out there. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a it's people. So, cool. Well, Scott, as I I I think you know, it it's so good to have somebody so passionate on the podcast. It's so good to have somebody who's been able to take what they do and and passionately put a lot of work into it. I guess one thing I guess maybe I can ask you in closing is if somebody else is out there who is, is like you put a lot, a lot of put a lot of work and effort into things I mean, pandemic notwithstanding because you know, the world's going to look a lot different probably in a year business wise maybe there's because I've only ever seen what you do in very very isolated circumstances and kind of not maybe run the best way if you there's somebody else out there who's possibly listening to this or possibly has the same or similar experiences you do what would be your you know number one piece of advice to them in, in um, starting an adventure like this I, I don't know if it would be advice i would probably more say prepare them <laughs> right for um i outwork everybody that would be probably the main thing um, my stance is that whether, you know, even though martial arts is a, as a community, we like to view it as competitive, as, as um, inclusive, I'm very competitive on that front. So my stance is that I am outworking everyone in my uh, community to provide uh, a better service, more convenience, more opportunity, uh, more instructors, higher quality instructors, it's just someone who's looking to do this, you've just got to be prepared to put the work in a lot of work. And we didn't go into it today, but the other thing is marketing. We do a huge amount of marketing. I probably spend $50,000 a year, Mark, okay? Um, and this is absolutely the business side of things, right? If I stop marketing, within three weeks, our new membership will, will um, stop increasing. If I stop for six weeks, so it'll plateau within three weeks, within six weeks, we will start seeing a decline in membership. So I can't stress enough how important it is to market, market effectively, market on a variety of mediums, um, because if you don't, it, it won't grow. I, I think the key to our success has been marketing. Okay. Do you feel that marketing, because that, that word can kind of be big, do you think marketing in terms of social media, because I've seen a lot of people pour a lot of money into social media and it, this is kind of maybe a different discussion, but pour a lot of money into social media and then see very little return on it. So do, yep. you, feel, um, do, you, do you feel that with this new, with social media being what it is now and kind of what people think, well, we'll advertise on Facebook. Do you think that's the best way of doing that? Or do you feel that there's a possibly different it's, or, or is there more it's got to be a lot of different things yeah yeah it's got to be a lot of a lot of different things so and the algorithms change so with facebook i used to be able to literally spend 20 bucks and get five new people to turn up uh i can now spend a hundred dollars on facebook and maybe get one you know um so the algorithms have changed how it works changed so uh, one, as a academy owner, you've got to educate yourself on, on what is working, what is trending, what is popular. The, I, I think the keys these days, and, and it's something that I have to revisit really, really, really uh, have a big focus on next year, is make sure that your content is entertaining or educational, and it's not just advertising. I'm, I find right. we're guilty of advertising too much, 
and it being an advert, which I don't like. Um, no one does. But I, I, to be honest, I get short of time and adverts are easier for me to create than entertaining and educational videos. Um, but I think the key is entertaining and educational videos are the key. And then just having, um, and this is a, a, another whole conversation, just having a, uh, to be really commercial, a sales pipeline, a sales funnel, which you manage effectively. Uh, it's no good having 40 people respond to things if only four of them get a phone call. So, you know, uh, but marketing is, I believe, the key. Marketing and then just have a really good product. Right. Which you guys really do. Yeah, so. I hope so. Yeah. I know at least Mar at least Marty's there. So, you know, you'll have good times had by all. So. Exactly. Exactly. So... As I like to ask everybody at the end of each podcast, uh, Scott, this week in training, what are you working on? Uh, this week in training, for me, I'm starting to get back into doing BJJ, which I haven't done a lot of this year. So uh, I struggle to make a lot of the evening classes. So I'm getting students to come in during the day and I'm, I'm just getting back in there, refreshing my memory repetition. I'm one of these people who trains boring. Uh, I can do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, I don't need to I learn better through repetition than someone who's been really creative. So at the moment for me, it's, it's uh, reigniting uh, a passion for BJJ, which it's not that the passion went away, but I, I wasn't prioritizing it. So for me, the thing I'm working on this week is getting back, getting on the mats and rolling again. I wish I could do that. I've, I've actually never uh, done a BJJ class, but uh, once the whole pandemic or the, everything that's going on in the world ends and I get a couple a couple thousand dollars saved, I'm going to try and make another leap down to New Zealand. So you'll have to throw me on the ground a bit, bit oh, uh, go, with, with Marty uh, laughing at me the whole time. I, I think you'll, you'll love BJJ. It's very cerebral. And that's why I find the average age of a BJJ practitioner is, is older than in most of the other adult classes, Muay Thai and things like that. Right. Um, and I mean, you can go to work without having a black eye. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's always helpful, right? Absolutely. So, well, Scott, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for, for coming on with us. Um, it's It's been a real pleasure and a bit of an unexpected one too. Kind of, we had a quick little conversation with marty and it was like marty was like oh hey you scored then all right bye <laughs> so, um, um it was it's been an unexpected pleasure sir thank you so much no appreciate it thank you so much love talking about what we do yeah it's fantastic fantastic and we hope hope to have you on again awesome sounds great great and everybody out there thanks for listening and don't forget to keep training <laughs>